And I would say for the leaders of a church is to take the design, the, the truth that God has given us in his word and implementing it correctly for the local congregation. So I titled today's message, Contractors of Truth, taking that idea. In First uh, Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not try, trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. And I think that's the heart that Paul has for the church and wants leaders to have for the church. We have been entrusted with this gospel, with this truth, with the church. And we must serve God and not people because he's the one that's testing us. He's the one that's looking at our hearts and knows what's true um, and what our motives are. So God desires that we would follow his design, that we would follow the way that he desires the church to look. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 3 today and looking at leadership and really try to understand why it's so important that God wants good leaders in his church. So we'll start in verse 3. Or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. In scripture, you see the term overseer and elder used for really the same position. And that would be this overseeing a leader who's kind of in charge of the local congregation. And oftentimes you would see that as a team. So Austin Chapel, we have decided to be an elder-led church. So the word elder and overseer are really the same in scripture. And we have decided to be an elder-led church where we have a few men on that board, ideally, who serve together, who oversee the things in the church, take care of the church spiritually, and, and, and so on. And Paul says that those who desire to be in this office, they desire a noble task. So two things there, and it's noble and it's a task. That means that it's, it's deserving of some honor and respect. The Bible often says that um, you should give respect to um, your leaders but it's also a task. It is a job. It is a difficult job, too. Um, so you're aspiring to a noble task, but it's not an easy thing. You don't get to just sit around and boss people around. You're taking on that same heart of Christ to be a servant, to be the one who leads by example, not by word, but by conduct. And so God takes it extremely serious who is in this position and how they should look. So it's a good thing. If you, if you want to be in leadership, it's a noble thing. It's a noble task. It's a good desire. But you should know that God takes it really seriously. And we here at Austin Chapel do as well. And then he goes into these qualifications of the overseer. We'll read here. Um, we'll start in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace 
into a snare of the devil. Those are some pretty serious qualifications, aren't they? When you look at that, I would say that you look at these, and I would say that all Christians should aspire to these things. All Christians should grow and mature to look like this. But an elder must look like this. And let's look at this list. We'll look at it. You know, it's being above reproach. That means that people shouldn't really question if you should be an elder or not. You're above reproach. There aren't a lot of things in your life where people go, ah, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, are, are we sure that you should be in leadership? And he's committed to his wife. He's self-controlled. That means he's not controlled by the flesh, but he controls his flesh. He's respectable, hospitable. He's able to teach. He's not a drunk. He's not violent, but gentle. He's not pugnacious or argumentative. He's not greedy. He's a good family man. He's established in the faith and he has good reputation. So this is what we look for. And God takes it really seriously because here's the thing. These men that God will appoint in local churches to lead local churches, he will use for great things. But we also know by looking at society, looking at our country today, and maybe for some of you looking at your past experiences, they also have the ability to create a lot of damage. Like a lot of damage. When they get into a certain position, God's going to either use them for a lot of good, or they'll give in to the devil and they will cause so much damage in the church. Like I can't tell you how many people, because I don't know how many it's been now, people who say, I, you know, I really used to be into the church, but then this happened and this guy did this, and, and now I just don't know if I can trust the church anymore. I mean, some of you may have felt like that recently in your life. Some of you have close family or friends who feel that way now, right? Because leaders in the church have an ability to create a lot of damage as well as to do a lot of good. And so the type of person that's in this leadership role is really important. And so we have this office of overseer or elder. And as we spoke of last week, and this, the sermon is loaded, it's just poor audio quality. But if you do want to listen to it, we, talk, we talked about how this role is, and most churches understand it to be a, um, a man's role, but the wife is also to be sort of this mother figure for a church, as these men are father figures for the church. And so that we're looking for an elder and elder's wife who operate as a team. And the male figure would have this father's heart for the church and the wife would have this mother's heart for the church. That's what we at Austin Chapel look for. And then we're going to move on here to um, look at the deacon role. Now, the language changes from he to, to they, and it becomes a, um, the terms change to where it could really be understood as men or women. And you see, like, Phoebe in Scripture was called a deaconess, and we see other examples of women operating in probably some sort of deacon role within the church. And so we're going to look at the second here. Um, the office of overseer in Greek, it probably most literally could be translated to superintendent. Um, somebody who's just in charge. It was just a regular term for like a contractor in charge of a building 
or a manager of a restaurant. You would say that's the superintendent. This was a regular term in Greek that they used for a general leader. And so most literal understanding would probably be superintendent. We see in some scriptures, instead of overseer, it says elder. That's probably because that would be the term that the Jews better understood. And episkopos, which was overseer, was the term that probably Greeks better understood. But they meant really the same thing, this overseer, this leader of the, of the church. And then deacon most literally means a servant. Um, it just, it really basically, like, as literally as you can, means servant. But it's a servant leader. It's people who lead by service and by example as well. So 1 Timothy 3, 8, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we see very similar um, qualifications for a deacon as an elder with a few differences. Mostly they must be dignified. This word really means composed and to have a serious matter. They take their role seriously. They take the serving of the church seriously and have a co- composed manner when doing so. They're not a liar two-faced. This is the idea of not being double-tongued. They're not an alcoholic, not greedy. They have a good grasp on doctrine. They must be tested, which is interesting. Um, we definitely do that at our church. We do test um, those who we want to have in leadership um, was in some form or another, but they have a good family dynamic, an equal partner, and those who serve get a good reputation and become more bold for Christ. So we have these deacons who are servants and really probably lead very specific ministries under the oversight of the elders. So here's the thing. Within the church today, you have many denominations, and then it gets even more confusing when you have a lot of non-denominational churches who all operate different ways. And so you have, what, priests, and you have fathers, and ministers, and deacons, and bishops, and ministers, and pastors, elders, deacons. You got all of these different titles, right? And it gets really confusing if you're looking at it. And I don't take such a hard line approach to this i understand it basically there needs to be this oversight team who spiritually oversee and tend to the needs of the flock and make sure that spiritually and and in more practical ways as well make sure the church is operating in a healthy god glorifying way and then you have deacons who serve and lead specific ministries and so how you want to title that, what sort of titles you give to people and, and everything like that is honestly perfectly fine to have differences within the church today. And so I don't really criticize a lot of churches if they use titles different because it's not the title that matters. It's really just about the fact that there's some sort of elder team who oversees the church and then there's many deacons who serve in different areas 
bleeding. So however you want to call that um, is up to you. Currently, right now at Austin Chapel, we would use the term pastor and elder synonymously. Elders would be lay. They don't work for the church. And then pastors would work for the church. And then for deacons, like all of our community group leaders would need to meet the qualifications of a deacon. Anybody who leads a specific ministry within our church, like worship or children's ministry or outreaches or things like that, would need to meet the qualifications of a deacon. And that's kind of how we title things right now. So we might, I, deacon sounds so outdated to me, so we just say community group leader, right? Or worship director, like we don't say deacon or something like that. But that's sort of the terminology we currently use. There, there is some debate as to whether or not deacons can be women. Um, some will use this text and say, well, it says they're wives, so it's showing that <clears throat> it's only men, but he changes his language from he to they right at the beginning when he starts talking about deacons. So it, I think it's talking about if they're serving, it's their spouse who would need to also meet their qualifications, similar to an elder the spouse would need to. Um, so I believe, because we see like Phoebe in Romans, who was operating as a deaconess, that we have men and women deacons. So let's continue reading here. First Timothy. You have First Timothy 3.15? Not my notes. So we come back to that theme verse. Okay, here we go. There we go. Starting 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. <clears throat> Sorry, getting over some stuff. Which is the church of the living God, a pillar, and that's why I use the NIV for this one, the buttress of truth. Didn't like that word. <laughs> Weird. Means pillars or foundation, the pillar and foundations of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed <coughs> believed on in the word, world, taken up in glory. This is why I like loaded up on Dayquil. Forgive me. I would love some water. So, he lays it out. These are the two types of leaders we need in the church, and ultimately their role is there to make sure that the household of God knows how they are to behave because they have been entrusted with the truth, specifically the gospel. And they must represent the truth well. They must represent the gospel well and lead well. And when good leaders are in place, the church becomes more impactful in the world they become more impactful in their in their communities and in their cities and in their countries and in, in, in throughout the world when good leaders are following god's design they're following the way that he said things should be we see the church operating healthy and mission moving forward and that's why he ends it by talking about Jesus here, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. He's talking about the work of Christ. 
that he ascended to earth as a baby, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, was witnessed by angels and men who recognized him as the risen Lord, and then he was taken up in glory to one day return. It is the leader's role to make sure that this message is communicated clearly, both by action and deed, or deed and word. So, as I talked about before, there are a lot of bad contractors in my field, in the building field, and the, there's bad tile guys, there's bad carpenters, there's bad foundation guys specifically. And a lot of them, they take shortcuts. They don't do what they said they would do. And they make the architect look bad in a sense. You can have this beautifully designed home. And if it's falling apart, what good is it? If it doesn't meet its purpose of keeping a roof over your head, keeping you safe and, and, and lasting a long time, then what's the point of it? It could be beautiful, but if it's not done correctly, it's just going to fall apart. And God has put leaders in place to make sure that his will is, is, is done in the church. And so we, at Austin Chapel, we take the role of elder and, and pastor really seriously. Um, I have three men in my life who hold me accountable outside of this church, pray for me and, and everything like that, because I want to be above reproach. I want to meet these qualifications. And then we, we want to appoint more elders and, and leaders and deacons in our church, but we're looking for men and women who meet these qualifications and more than that, have a servant's heart. They have a servant's heart. You know, for me... When I think about the ministry, and I think about who we want to see as leaders, I want people who don't feel like they're above anything, like they're above any job in the church. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was this teacher, he was also a pastor, and he would come and he would teach at our, our school. And he used to say, you know, he's like, he has a huge church, and he, he would say, I have people all the time come in and say, hey, I'm called to be a pastor. Hey, I need to be a leader. Hey, I'm supposed to be a teacher. I feel like God is calling me those things. And he would say, okay, great. Can you sign up to clean our toilets? And he said, one out of ten would do it. One out of ten would do it. And he said, if they wouldn't clean the toilets, they have no right in the pulpit. They have no right to be in the pulpit. And that always stuck with me. Because people love to be in charge. They want to be the person who gets to tell everyone what to do. And I remember when I started helping out with another church plant, and uh, I remember he, he started letting me preach, and I remember he would always set up before he preached, even though we had a big enough team. And that really stuck with me. He always set up, even when he was preaching, we had a big enough team. And so I was like, Kind of like, all right, well, that me too then. I, like, and that was really stressful for me because at the time, preaching was difficult. And uh, memorizing notes and things like that was very difficult. So I wanted that whole morning to be memorizing my notes. But I would go and serve instead because that was the example he set. And I remember thinking, like, I want to follow that example where I'm not above anything. 
Like just because I get to teach or something doesn't mean I'm above setting up chairs or coffee or anything like that. And that was the type of leadership example I had in my life in the last eight years was you're there to serve. And not only that, to view all of these seemingly insignificant things as holy and reverent and to do them in such a way like to feel honored that I set up the chairs where people sit to hear from the word of God, to feel honored that I get to, you know, pour the communion cup or something like that, or set up the coffee or set up the sign so that people could come and hear the gospel. And here's the thing, like we have teams, we have children's ministry teams and we have, you know, our set up teardown team where we still need to work on our like greeting and hospitality team. And we will be getting a lot of that stuff streamlined over the next little while. But I will be completely honest with you guys. If you don't want to do it, please don't. Please don't. Because the Bible is continually talking about not doing things out of compulsion. Like we will figure out a way. We want people who want to serve God. We want people who love to serve God's people and him by doing so. And so sometimes like church planning is a lot of work. Like it really is. It's a lot of work. But God will provide servants who want to do it. And I don't want anybody here to feel obligated. And if you don't enjoy doing it, it's okay. Just don't do it. I'd rather not have you do it if you don't want to. But then I would challenge you to pray about that. Because Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and that was the lowest role in their society. That wasn't just the slave's job. That was the bottom tier, like bottom of the totem pole slave that would wash your feet. And Jesus says, I will wash my disciples' feet. And they're like kind of insulted by it when it happens. They're like, no, 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 Lord, like you can't wash our feet. And they like walked around in sandals. And it wasn't as clean of a society as ours. Like, it was a gross job. And Jesus lowered himself to the point to do the dirtiest job. And that's the type of leadership we look for. And God forbid I ever start saying I'm above set up and tear down or cleaning the toilets or checking the floors for trash. Because even maybe the most influential leader in any church should have the heart to serve. You know, then Paul talks about how Jesus dies for us, right? And in Christianity, we've all heard it. We go, you know, Jesus died for you. And that's a big deal. It's a really big deal that God in flesh would die for you, an imperfect, sinful human, to take your sin upon the cross to forgive you and offer you newness of life through his resurrection. But more than that, Paul says that he died for us, even a death on a cross, which was a shameful death. It was the worst way to die at the time. Even a death on a cross, he says. And so what it means to be a leader is to lay your life down before the Lord and for his people and just to serve. Bible talks about how if we want to be the greatest, consider ourselves the least and serve. 
You know, sometimes I, I look at leaders across the country, you know, you see these different leaders or pastors that I've known too, and I wonder, like, do you need to read the Beatitudes again? You know? But it's that goes for, like, so much of humanity. I can't remember who said it, but I heard a quote that said that the world would change in one day if everyone read the Beatitudes. And that's in Scripture. Blessed are the meek, and they shall inherit the earth. It talks about the humble and the serving. And you know, Jesus just keeps hitting on that, that concept. And he lived it. He was an example for it. That you would serve. And the temptation with these roles is people who want fame, wealth, or authority. Oftentimes. And so the role of a pastor or elder is tempting because maybe there could be some wealth out of it. So we get weird doctrines in the church today that are all about how if you're a pastor you should be paid millions because you're such a good person. It's weird because there's greed and they are right here not meeting the qualifications to not be a lover of money. And then we have those who just want to exercise authority over people. But the Bible tells us that those who exercise authority should do so in a loving and gentle and really respectable way. In a humble way. And ultimately, everything that they're doing, they should lead by example. 1 Peter 5.2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's so much good stuff in here. And I'm far from a perfect leader. Like I get you know, sometimes frustrated or sometimes frustrated with God about things. Sometimes I'm impatient. And I have a wonderful wife who keeps me in check. But ultimately, it's to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being examples. And ultimately, we're going to answer to this chief shepherd. I have to answer to the chief shepherd. Hebrews says something similar. It says the elders will have to give account for those that they were watching over. It's pretty intense stuff. And ultimately what's crazy about it is that we have, as leaders and ultimately as the church as well, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And so it's not just our reputation on the line, it's God's reputation on the line which is why it's so significant. And I have experienced like bad leadership, really bad leadership. When I was in high school, I've talked about this, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. When I was in high school, we were a part of a church that was growing rapidly. And then the pastor cheated on his wife. Pretty rough, right? I was 17, I think, at the time. 
And it was just a rough thing. And, I, and we watched that church just completely disintegrate, on, even under the new leadership. And the new leadership ended up having a bunch of problems, too. The new pastor had different kinds of problems, but problems that only continued to kill the church. So I witnessed that. It was really rough. It certainly makes you question things. And then I went to Bible college, got out of Bible college. The first church plant I helped out with, the pastor and his wife were in even worse sexual sin that came out. Just like the darkest things you've ever heard. Pretty devastating as well. And then so there was definitely a season for me where I was like, what the heck is going on? And the craziest part was it like really made me question myself and my ability to pick people I wanted to follow. Like I felt guilty for following these men. Like I somehow like I didn't do anything wrong. They appeared to be good leaders, but I felt guilty. Like and I felt like like how am I supposed to even know if God's speaking to me anymore when I thought he was telling me to be a part of these churches and to go to this church plant and help here. And then all this happens, like, you feel betrayed. It makes you feel dirty even though you haven't done anything wrong. But the thing is, it's like a pretty common thing, whether it's money or some sort of, you know, domineering, really mean attitude that the pastor gets, or it's oftentimes something sexual. You see pastors all the time becoming unqualified. And the, the horrible thing is, you know, we use the word fallen leaders. I've even, I use that too, right? Like they fell. Like they, but it's such a, like a, a way to lighten what really happened, isn't it? Fallen. They didn't fall. They willfully chose to do something that would not only destroy their own lives, that would completely disrespect God and his word. It would destroy their families. It would destroy the local church. And it would destroy the reputation of the church in the city. They willfully chose to do something that would cause that. And so we say fallen leaders because it sounds just a little bit better somehow, but it's men who willfully choose to hurt people. And it's rough. It's really, really rough. And it's just like throughout the church, you just hear it all the time. And it's devastating every single time. And it takes oftentimes close to a decade for a church to recover. And if they're small churches, they don't recover. They just close down. And then you have all these people who are jaded, they're angry at the church, and then you have all the people who already didn't like the church who get to use it um, really as kindling for that fire to say, see, the church is all just a bunch of hypocrites. You see, the church isn't real. God doesn't really change you. You're still the same evil person. The gospel's false. It's just devastating. And if you can't tell, I have a little bit of bitterness about it still because it just sucks. But do you know why I stuck with it and started and helping out with another church plant where I was under much better leadership and why I'm even planning one today is because it's not ultimately, ultimately about those men who fell. They're not Jesus. And yes, they, did, they were entrusted with truth. They were entrusted with the gospel and they did something that was wrong and that is damaging. But ultimately, God, God is bigger than even their sin and he will even use those things to bring it out for good one day. And we don't get to see how all that works. 
But ultimately, my trust has never been in any of those men. Ultimately, the only reason I could get through those things and to continue with the church is because my faith was in God and not in those men. And it has to be, doesn't it? It has to be. When we have really good leaders, though, the church operates in a healthy way. There's good community. There's good accountability. There should be this openness to confess and forgive. And when the church starts living like that, and it all starts with the leaders, when the church starts living like that, you have a church who becomes really influential for God in their area. You have a church who starts changing their city. You have a church who represents Jesus well. And God uses men who are all imperfect. But he uses these men and these, these women in leadership and ultimately the church to do his work. And it's, it's crazy to think about. It's just crazy to think about because you would think that if you saw, like if, if it was me and I saw this pattern where like, man, it seems like, this, like a lot of guys are screwing up. Maybe I'll just like send some angels to go do the pastoral work. You know, you would think that he's God, he can do whatever he wants to do. But his plan A is to still use us. His plan A is that we would go therefore into the world and make disciples. That we would preach to all of creation. That we would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's still his plan. Despite the many fallen leaders. Again, it's a very light term. Despite the many fallen leaders, he still chooses to use us. And here's the thing. God doesn't just want to use the elders and the deacons. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that ultimately those men are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So they're going to make sure that the household, the building operates correctly. So that all of us can go out and do the ministry that the Lord would have for us. And so there's another thing that happens oftentimes is where we think, well, we'll, we'll just come and make sure that the pastor can minister to my friend. The pastor can answer their questions and things like that. Well, ultimately, the pastor's job is to equip you to be able to witness to your friends and to be of the best representation of Christ that you can be in your workplace and social life. And so we want leaders who are ultimately great examples, who have servant hearts, who meet these qualifications, but also equip the church to be the best representation of Jesus to the world. And so I want to encourage you guys. I don't, I don't know where all of you are at in your like mind when it comes to leadership. Some of you may have a distrust for leadership and no desire to be in any form of leadership yourself. Others of you maybe do have some desire to be in leadership or to serve in, in, at those capacities. And I want to encourage you that God, despite there being so many men with so many shortcomings, he still wants to find men and women who want to serve and serve well. And that each one of you, if you would submit to God and pursue him, he will give you spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts to equip you for ministry. 
And that every single person in here, no matter how bad your past is or your present, God forgives and gives grace for you to grow. And every single person in this room is capable of, of great leadership, is capable of serving him in great ways. But again, we get caught up in this kind of millennial idea of like, if I can't do that one thing I want to do, then I don't want to do any of it. I don't just want to work a job. I want to work the dream job. Right? And we, we apply that to, to the church. Well, I don't want to do set up or tear down or kids or greeting. I want to do this thing for the Lord. I want to be this kind of missionary or I want to have a podcast like this or I want to do uh, whatever it is that you might think, right? Whereas all the greatest leaders that I've ever known, they all considered themselves as the least of these. To serve in the most humble way they can. And they saw whatever need needed to be met, and they step in. And the Bible says that those who can be entrusted with a little can be entrusted with a lot. And if you can't be entrusted with the simplest thing, God's not going to entrust you with the greatest of things. He just simply won't. So it takes that humility and the desire to serve. So, we're in the process of, of training up some new elders. We're, we're going to have an assistant pastor who will get here this week. He's preaching next week. Should be great, right? And... I am so excited for the future of our church. Like, I, I haven't been this excited since I probably started the church. I am really, really excited for what God has. And I'm seeing more and more in our church people who want to serve. And I'm really excited about it. And I know this message is heavy. And honestly... I'm being pretty blunt and forward about it because we can't be all nice about, oh, leadership is this great, sweet thing when Scripture shows us that it is crucifying yourself. It's laying yourself down for the sheep. It's living a servant's life like Christ. And so though I want to encourage all of you to pursue the best that God would have for you, I also want to tell you it's not comfortable, it's not easy, and you should know that. So the expectations for our leaders are very, very high, and they will never be brought lower. And you guys have every right to hold those we put in leadership to a high state of accountability. Because God has put that there. So I want to encourage all of you, but I also want to let you know that it's difficult and it's hard, but it's completely worth it. So if you want to lead, like we're looking for men and women who want to lead in many different ways. Like when people have good ideas, oftentimes I feel like they look at me like, so you're going to do it for me? They're like, we should do this kind of outreach. These people in this neighborhood... You know, we should do a homeless thing. We should, whatever it is, like, why aren't we reaching high schoolers? Why aren't we reaching college students? And I'm like, because you're not doing it. 
<laughs> like, I work a full-time job, and I'm doing as much as I can oftentimes, though not perfectly. So if that's on your heart, let's get together. Let's dream together. Let's pray together. Let's, let's make sure your heart is in the right place and that you're equipped properly in Scripture and by the Spirit of God. And then why don't you go out and lead it? And just watch if you will follow the guidelines that God has for leaders and you trust in His Spirit, God will use you to do that amazing thing. Isn't that awesome? That you don't have to be the guy up here to lead some amazing ministry, or lead a thousand people to the Lord, or feed the poor, or take care of the widows, or take care of the orphans. Any of the things in Scripture, God can empower you to do it. But you have to be willing to. And so if you're having a cool idea... I want you to know that we are always open to that as leadership in Austin Chapel. But it might also mean you might have to be the one who steps up. Because I'm super limited. As I talked about, I'm also a painting contractor who works full time. And I have a wife and a kid, another kid on the way. And I can't lead every ministry. And it would be unhealthy for me to. Even if I had, if I was full time in ministry. It would be unhealthy for me to lead everything. Because the Bible says that I'm here to equip you for ministry. I'm here to equip you. And that is the thing that I get most excited about. Is when I see people go, hey, I really want to do a missions trips here. Awesome. I'm going to help equip you to lead that. Hey, I want to start this sort of outreach. Awesome. I'm going to help equip you to do that. So ultimately, we need to be a team and a healthy community that recognizes the seriousness of what we've been entrusted with and then operates in a way that glorifies Jesus and represents him well to Austin. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person that's here today. God, I... I'm humbled oftentimes reading these texts, Lord. I never read these texts feeling like I'm all the way there, but challenged to improve, Lord. Lord, I pray today that every person who has um, any aspiration to lead in any shape or form, to serve in any shape or form, that you would equip them and empower them to do so. Lord, that you would use our leaders to, by your word and in the power of your spirit, help them be equipped, Lord, so that we as a team can reach this city and glorify you and see more and more people who are stranded in sin come to know you, Lord, to be freed by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.